I guess, more of a person for like less of a bird to him if I was dating someone. And if I wasn't dating anyone, I'd feel like I was either missing out in like a formal way or like I didn't feel as whole. Or I wasn't up to my best self, if that makes sense. So like, I guess with that in mind, with you not having a whole lot of human interaction, those kind of departments, like, would you say it's been more fulfilling or like, what have you learned about yourself in like the grand scheme of things? I've, um, I've learned a lot about how, uh, because I, I have a couple of disabilities, I learned a lot about how my relationships are often like kind of a survival move because I'm like more realizing that the, you know, the problem with me wasn't so much that I was like addicted to being in relationships or anything. I mean, that, that was kind of the problem, but I realized that it's more about the fact that I'm living with a disability unassisted and I would like, greatly benefit from like having a service dog or being able to like be more gainfully employed part-time like right now I'm kind of dealing with like a you know messy tax situation that I kind of like you know jumped on my own sword with you know becoming a freelance contractor when I know I'm bad with that kind of like money management so I like that's that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen as much when I'm in a relationship because I tend to be kind of messy about like life logistics stuff my very various disabilities make me forget things and like go through long periods of time where I you know I'm unable to like go get food or like I might be like to like have an episode and be too like messed up to go get my meds or something and like I've started to really realize that I'm just like a lot of the reasons that I was just jumping into relationships over and over again was it was more because of that. Um, and it's kind of helped me forgive myself a lot more for some like really bad decisions I've made uh, as far as like people that I was seeing. Um, but yeah, that, that like that's been the main thing is that I, you know, realize that you know I just need to like kind of forgive myself for what I was doing because I thought it was just like an insecurities thing or self-worth thing and now I'm realizing I'm just like oh no this is just like a survival mechanism and like you know it's it's a little sobering because I'm just like I don't want my next relationship to be like that but I don't know if it's possible for me to be in a relationship that doesn't turn into at least a little portion of that because if I have a partner they're not going to watch me have an episode and not help me but like I don't want to cast anybody in the role of home health aid either it's like doesn't feel fair um so I don't know it's been a good revelation and it's kind of given me a lot more insight on what I'm trying to do going forward and everything but it's also like a little bit it's a little bit scary and it's also made me realize that I'm just not, I'm still really not good at asking for friends for stuff or like, you know, establishing emergency contacts and stuff. Cause that shouldn't just be like a thing that only happens when I have a partner, but I'm just not good at letting people close to me. So I don't know, <laughs> but I'm realizing a lot. Yeah. I can like relate to that because like, I think like you kind of nailed it with that, that key phrase of like survival or survival mode. Like with me, it kind of felt like, well, maybe like survival mode may be a bit much in my case, but just I felt like 
to, I guess, quote unquote, survive or like to at least be on top of things to be my best self, I need to be attached to someone. And whenever mm-hmm. I wasn't attached to someone, I felt like I was just lesser. And it took me kind of taking a step back and just giving myself space to kind of figure things out on my own and just figure myself out on my own to really kind of flip that type of thinking on its head for myself. And Mm -hmm. I guess I also want to ask you, like, because like even to kind of consciously decide you want to be single, I guess, like that's a tough thing for a lot of people. So I guess I want to ask like for for people listening who are kind of struggling to kind of get in that space, that like solo space that I guess for lack of a better phrase, forces them to kind of reclaim themselves or their independence. Do you have any advice for people trying to look in for that sort of space? Does that make sense? I know that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's something that I've been thinking about because since I've been consciously doing it, sometimes I'm sensitive to people around me that, also seem to place their entire self-worth on whether or not they're in a relationship. I mean, I didn't totally, but like, I see that in a lot of people, a lot of codependents and stuff like that. And then they get into breakup and they just like immediately want to jump into the next thing. And it's, um, mm, advice. I don't know. It's still hard. Uh, <laughs> but I think that it's really important to ask yourself what you really want out of the next person you're seeing. And if the person that shows up isn't there like that, that's, you know, like that's not the, you know, it's like the opposite of the thing that you want and you just don't fall into the pattern of like, just making that person out to be good enough, you know, like it is better that, and I think it is better to be single than to be in a, bad relationship um even if it doesn't feel that way but I think the difficulty is that being single does feel bad a lot society makes you feel bad um so it's hard to imagine feeling worse in a relationship when you're in the like trenches of being single um and I think that maybe if you just try to remember that like try to remember the worst relationship and you're like okay am I doing worse than I was doing then now that I'm single because it's really easy to just get amnesia of like you know single not being the worst thing on the planet and then also like how much of my shit that I get in my head about being single being bad how much is that like where did those ideas come from and if it's stuff like your parents saying you're supposed to be married and having a baby or whatever that's not you like that's something else like that wasn't an opinion that came from you so like you have to ask yourself like what do I want um because that's not the same thing a lot of the time as all of the opinions that make you think that you're like not going to be better if you're unless you're in a relationship a lot of times those pressures and stuff don't come from you um but then when you actually think about what you want and it's like I want somebody supportive that I can spend time with this, that there's into this, that the other thing, um, just not, and also just not full force walking into red flag traps. It's really hard. Um, it's difficult, but you know, I just, I guess the best I can say is that thing where I was like, just remember that your worst relationship. And then if you're single, like, you're like, okay, do I feel that bad right now? Like it's better to be cautious. (laughs) 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And like to even piggyback off that, especially the part where you say like try not to walk into like certain red flags. Cause I think when you're again, like speaking on my behalf, like when you've gone without being next to another person for so long, it's very easy to kind of just walk into the next relationship and just even when you recognize it's not the best thing for you, a lot of people would kind of prefer that opposed to being alone. But in my experience, I've learned that it's kind of, and again, like you said, like it's going to feel bad to not kind of be with someone. And like, that's Mm -hmm. kind of hard to avoid. But for me, it's kind of just like, before you can kind of, God, how would I word this? Uh, I guess after there was like a period of badness, it was just comes a period of acceptance, if that makes sense. And like mm-hmm. everyone's kind of period of acceptance, I think, comes differently for certain people. Oh, like for some people it may take a month to go over it, a week to go over it, maybe even a year, maybe more than that. But I think there comes a point where if you kind of stick to your guns and just ask yourself, like, what are you looking for in a relationship? And can you get that something by just sticking with yourself instead of a person? Then you kind of just don't think about the bad. Would you agree with that? I'm kind of just thinking off the top right now yeah no for sure it's like really you know it's like you said like what stuck out from what you said is like when you know you haven't been next to a person for so long you know there's actual like the the physical contact at a contact episode like aspect of it is not small like you know the the sex aspect of it is not small and it's easy if that becomes a need and like that's a source of validation for you and it's just not there that can you know drain on you both like mentally from like a weird self-worth thing and then also just physically because like skin hunger like it's it's creepy I always thought skin hunger was a really creepy term but it is like a legitimate thing where like you know humans just crave physical contact and I've all I've had a lot of problems where I've walked into red flag things specific just because of the sex like especially because I got involved in like the public BDSM scene and polyamory and like alt sexuality scenes super young I was like 19 and you know I'm 34 now things were really different back when I got like into that sphere and like it I'm not saying that it's bad to have like a whole bunch of casual sex obviously but like because I was that young, it didn't really, it formulated my entire adult sex life to the point where I didn't know how to operate outside of the norms of the BDSM community. And it kind of like took me until now to realize, oh, it can be really toxic if you're just involved with somebody for like sex and sex role-playing, and then you just turn it into a relationship out of convenience. And then one day you realize, oh, we don't, actually have anything in common and now I've given like so much power over to like especially I'm like also speaking if it's a dom sub situation you know you've just given so much power to a person that you didn't really you know because it was like the norms put in my head were kind of like cruising norms um and I would just get like sucked into things and it's like I always have to be like super careful when I go into that line of thinking because I absolutely don't want to be sex negative in any way shape or form and I'm still super supportive of that scene and everything but like you know it 
it would be insincere for me to not say that it had kind of a negative impact that that was like my first exposure that I was like that young and then I also got taken advantage of a lot in that situation because there wasn't as much safety and public discourse yet. I was fully in 2008 you know <laughs> a lot of the places I was at were illegal and there you know wasn't a lot of like public discussion on like what is supposed to be safe what isn't you know yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think that I just agree. I'm not sure what to to kind of like piggyback on that because I think you kind of nailed it. So I do perfectly. so many weird streams of consciousness. Like again, I was just like, oh man, like the mental health thing up. Like I might end up doing like six different topics in the sense that uh, I'm so sorry. No, that's totally fine. Yeah. Totally fine. Uh-huh. All right. There's a, already a lot of topics I kind of want to like backtrack to. Uh there was one thing you said earlier. God, what you use? I, I think it's when you were kind of talking about like all the different resources you put into your comedy and Kate's bunker. And like one thing I always thought was really interesting, I guess, admirable about you is that like you have so many eggs in one basket. And it feels like, or at least I get the impression that you're pretty good at kind of trying to balance out all of those eggs. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So I yeah, guess. I mean, I'm definitely taking like a big energetic, like, and you know, because like I'm, I, you know, I'm taking a big energetic risk on the project because I really believe in it, and also I see that it's moving, it's not moving anywhere but forward. So I'm like confident about it. Um, but I am also constantly thinking of like contingency plans and shit and that you know i do have another job coming up and everything uh and like there's other project ideas that i have but like i do really really believe in this project and i think it's going to go where it needs to go especially because it's now starting to climb in rankings and stuff and i'm seeing like i'm getting some feedback that people are like oh i'm a total nerd for this show now i've been telling all my friends and everything um you know, I'm just, uh, it's the, just the usual nail biting of like, when you take a, like a serious risk on something, you know, cause I like worked part-time for a while. So I would be able to deal, like get this going and everything. And, you know, like I, um, but I think it's worth it. And I think that all it, this is, you have to think of it as a business thing too. You have to take huge risks for business. If you, ha- if I were starting a business, I would have had to take out a big loan that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, and it's, uh, it's risky, but I really feel in my gut, it's worth it. And then if I'm proven wrong, it, you know, at least I, it would be worse to just regret that I didn't do it because I do have some like creative regrets that I like floating in the ether about like stand up and some other stuff that I like didn't tape or didn't submit a tape of because I had body dysmorphia or something like it, but I, you know, a lot of me like really want to do this is like there could be giant climate change waves tomorrow I mean like what's the next coronavirus like I don't I don't want to regret things I want this show out there and I don't have time to wait for a tv network to look at one of my spec scripts you know (laughs) like especially one that seems to only hire people with rich parents and just not a lot of women you know And I guess, well, first off, like you said, like you hope that this pans out. I think it'll pan out just in like thinking positive, but like I just really believe in this project just because it's so unique. I think it's so cool. Like I mm-hmm. loved listening and I've even told some of my friends about it. And like I was just telling a buddy of mine the other day about 
just the concept of it and he was like wow this sounds really unique like this kind of sounds yeah, like a like, audio sitcom the reason I'm willing to put so much gas into this is because nobody else has ever done it before. If this was just a normal, not normal podcast, which was like, a, the, I love podcasts. Like I love a, the way that pirate radio has just become like a thing that anybody can do. It's amazing. Like when you think about what radio was like before podcasts and how many gates and, you know, having to deal with the FCC, the fact that we have like a radio format that's not controlled by the FCC at all is just awesome. And it's something that a lot of people don't, you know, if, unless you're over a certain age, don't have the concept of like how cool this is that we're all allowed to do this at all. Um, but yeah, like I you know if this but at, that was all just me going like I'm not saying that other podcasts are like bad I'm just or like that at the mind was like a normal podcast would be boring because I'm on a podcast right now that would be disrespectful but like I am <laughs> like after a whole bunch of that like rambling quantifying shit I'm like I have done something that has never been done before and it's also like besides the fact that it's the concept is weird and like a fully fake interview podcast hasn't been done before it's also that like scripted comedy is usually not this long um scripted comedy on tv is like 23 minutes long the same with like most other fictional comedy podcasts are about that long this ended up being like 40 to 50 minutes which is like almost a feature and there's like 10 of them now i like i've released like 10 comedy albums and i'm just like this is insane body of work and I can't believe that it's happened <laughs> it's like and I just really need to believe in everyone else's faith in me that that's the main reason that's the one thing that I've like really been trying to meditate on today specifically because like I meditate pretty much every day on something or you can call it brooding I don't know Scorpio shit but uh <laughs> But the thing I've been doing today is I'm just like, everyone around me is saying that this is going to work. I need to start to believe them. Like, I really, <laughs> because there isn't a single person industry, hypercritical type person that wouldn't be like, like the people that would normally be like, you need to be more careful. You shouldn't like put all your gas into this. Like those people are also saying that they're, it's like, it's just a matter of time. And I'm like, okay, I just need just a matter of time to be, before I'm in deep shit with taxes for freelance. <laughs> but we'll see. Like, I'm willing to take the hit. I'm willing to take the hit. The world's ending. Who knows? Like, <laughs> hey, if the world's ending, why not? Just put all your well, eggs in one basket. Yep, for sure. Although I, I would like to quantify uh, my concept of the apocalypse. It's not, the world's not ending. There's a drastic reduction in human population. And also America is on the decline specifically. Americans like to think of America as the world when the conditions that they are afraid of are present in like mo like lots of other countries. They're like the, the American conception of the apocalypse is already happening all over the world. And a lot of it's America's fault. Um, but the world's not going to be over. It's just that, like, this drastic reduction of human population. It's also like a like I'm always like thinking, uh, kind of outside borders with like apocalypse because it's not just like Americans. It's humans. Humans are like the world is ending because we are reducing in population. And I'm just like you're one species that lives here on land, which is only a small like the most intelligent huge creatures are all in the ocean. 
this is why I have Cage Bunker. I have a lot of crazy. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, like, to piggyback not on all, that and say, like, the word as it's we not know all it work. It's just that, you know, I like to say that because, like, you know, romanticizing dystopia, especially now, is cute and i i don't necessarily like throwing out all like as much as i'm tongue-in-cheek constantly being like oh apocalypse world's ending or whatever i'm also pretty like that's kind of not what's actually happening um and i don't also like i don't like the way that people are like oh we're gonna have to like oh this is crazy we're gonna have to like forge and fend for ourselves and i'm like yeah like join the club of so many other countries that you don't pay attention to because we're all sucked into our little world over here the rest of the world isn't like that they watch what other countries are doing they learn other languages and shit you know like oh yeah (laughs) that too that too and uh i guess to backtrack again a little bit like i know say you have so many eggs in one baskets and like you put so much gas into kate's bunker just alone and then you got all your other projects I kind of just want to know just how do you not get yourself overwhelmed by everything you're doing? And if you do get overwhelmed, like how you deal with being so whelmed, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I am always overwhelmed. Um, That's just a thing. And it's a lot is to, but a lot of that is to do with like, I know that I like can handle all of this stuff. It's the disability that kind of is the cat walking through the room, like knocking shit off the table. Like I, you know, so what I have to do basically is just preventative stuff because it's not like, I can't wait until I get overwhelmed. I have to be like, no, you gotta take a salt bath today. You gotta go look at like walk around and look at the water like I'm a big fan of looking at the water that's why I like lived in a frozen off-season beach town last year before the vaccination hit for like four months um you know I there's a lot of stuff I do to like recently I've stopped drinking I stopped uh drinking coffee and I am also tentatively, my stomach just randomly decided it didn't want meat anymore either. So like, I don't know, uh, like it's, it's kind of different for everybody um, as far as just like, but I do have to just kind of mental, like manage my mental health on the back end. So I don't get overwhelmed because if I get overwhelmed, then it tends to be like too late um, and I can lose like a week out of my time or whatever like this is just very like I I guess it's relevant to mention at this point that I'm I'm bipolar one um which is the more severe version of it I take medication for it and I'm always in therapy I never miss therapy um and uh I also have Tourette syndrome and some of the tics I have with it, like Tourette syndrome, if people aren't familiar, it's uh, the vocal tics happen. And I, I do have those, but you don't necessarily need to like be a person that's vocal ticking every five seconds. Every time you talk to someone, the tics are also like most, it mostly happens when I'm alone or if I'm around somebody that I'm like comfortable vocal ticking around. Otherwise, like I get tics in my hands and I get, uh, it's just, this, this is like, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on a podcast yet, but um, some people with Tourette's have the same thing that a lot of uh, some people with severe autism have where they have self-harm tics, where they like hit themselves in the head and like scratch themselves and stuff like that. 
And I am in kind of a situation where over time, over the last six years, that version of tics have gotten worse if I don't manage my mental health on the back end. And an episode can be like super dangerous to me, which is why I kind of want a service dog. Um, but the way the way I keep describing it to people is that I just have to be like very, very vigilant. Like I, I'm like, my mental health is kind of like, like that movie Speed where they're driving the bus and they can't stop. Like you have to be vigilant where the bomb's going off under the bus and it, it's stressful. And it's also something that I don't have to deal with if I have a partner or if I'm like at my parents' house or something. Um, and it's a lot of me just having to like rely on resources like that and do as much as I possibly can. But, you know, in my current state, being overwhelmed and melting down is just kind of inevitable. And I just have to learn how to, you know, have, like emergency mechanisms in place and phone numbers I can call and stuff when stuff happens because it will you know yeah totally and um I guess like um if you don't mind my asking well first just to clarify for me like can you explain to me if you're married the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two because I don't typically hear it sure. categorized as bipolar one or two it's just bipolar Mm -hmm. um, bipolar 2 tends to be less severe. Um, it's like, honestly, closer to what I experience when I'm on medication. Uh, bipolar 1 tends to be hypomania, which is just like excessive risky behavior, not being able to sleep, thinking everything's okay and great when it's not, like ignoring obvious red flags, um, just like kind of pressured like manic speech and like and it's called clang associations which you can definitely hear in this interview uh but like clang associations are like the term for like just jumping from topic to topic when you're like going on a long rant like that and that's what the hypomania aspect is like and depression is pretty like basic like you know you know what depression is um, but bipolar one um, tends to be when these kinds of episodes can get you to the point where you're seeing and hearing things. Um, well, a lot of people with bipolar one and manic episodes have like some kind of like delusion that they're God or the Messiah or something like that. That that happened to me in 2000. Like I got diagnosed when that happened to me in 2015. Um, and I had to go to the hospital for it and they had to give me like, a, they gave me Seroquel, which managed to like punch me out of the manic episode and realize what was actually going on. Um, but like bipolar one's like the thing that would lead you like, you know, like right, bipolar two is something that would lead you to max out a credit card because you think everything's great. And like, you know, you're going to be rich tomorrow and there's no, like, you could absolutely take every risk you can and it's going to be fine. And then when you snap out of it, you want to kill yourself. Like that's bipolar two. Bipolar one is you think you're the Messiah and you start a cult and you're talking to ghosts and like, you, you know, you can fucking like, you know, it's just so much more severe. And a lot of times, uh, like they categorize bipolar one also that it, the episodes last longer, like you're locked into mania for a period of months and then you're locked into depression for a period of months um and then like bipolar two a lot of the time they say it's like kind of shorter periods of time and then there's like i don't know how to pronounce it but there's a version of bipolar where it's just like it can go up and down in the middle of the weeks and days and everything and that that's kind of what i experience when i'm on medication because i'm just like 
experiencing the toned down version of big bad that I am when I'm not taking medication, you know, like. Do you mind if I also ask just like how long you've been, well, I guess how long you've been dealing with bipolar one might be a silly question. I imagine it's like a lifelong thing, but I guess, I guess maybe the proper question is how long have you been diagnosed with bipolar one? Uh, I've been diagnosed since 2015. Um, which is when I had the the big major episode for several months. Uh, there were the last uh, month that I had before I went into the hospital. I thought I was dreaming. Uh, I didn't think I was awake the entire month. Uh, I thought I was just living in a dream and I was acting as though there were like no consequences because I was living in a dream and I was like some kind of God figure and I was telling people things like that, but I was also just very good at stonewalling and hiding it from people but I was living like full force delusions like all the time and becoming obsessed with like famous people and thinking like we're destined to talk and stuff like that you know like the like when you see somebody like come up to a famous person and they've got this like scary eye and they're kind of like you speak to me and I think your words are only speaking to me and we're supposed to be together like that's like serious bipolar one behavior regardless of whether or not they're diagnosed with it like that's like a, a kind of a classic bipolar thing is to just like message famous people and tell them that like you're supposed to hang out because you know like you, you guys connect in your art or whatever um but I got, I got diagnosed in 2015. Um, I had dealt with like a lot of things that felt like mania and depression my whole life. And I've also been like in therapy since I was a little kid for symptoms. Like when I was, when I was a little kid, I would say that I was too sad to get out of bed and I'd like hide from other kids and stuff, but I'd also like exhibit a lot of ADHD behaviors. So like there was just a lot of different kinds of diagnoses that were happening for a long time. And then uh, bipolar has a tendency to kick in around 26, 27 hard. And that's like when people really start to see a lot of the symptoms. It's like something about the age, like 26, 27 is when like, if you're bipolar, it really starts to take off. Um, and that's what happened to me is that I just had a major episode when that shit hit the fan, you know? Yeah, it definitely seems like you've kind of been dealing with a lot and like trying to like manage that. And it kind of reminds me of how I think we kind of like talked about this a little bit the other day, how like, I guess like be it in like the mental health community in general or just like a basic like support system, like the go-to advice for anyone dealing with like a mental disorder or it's just, oh, try this, try that. I'm here for you if you need me. Uh, try self-care and stuff like that but with more um i guess pardon the term if it's if it's appropriate but like extreme cases of mm -hmm. certain disorders like bipolar one stuff like try self-care is just an oversimplification of what of the kind of work that needs to be done so mm -hmm. and i guess the actual medical chemical imbalance too mm -hmm. is that like this is an issue that in me that I'm going to say is like 70% fixed by medication. Um, like, and it's only, but it's a reduction in severity. You know, like I said, you can hear me doing clang associations on this call. It's not that I'm not always experiencing symptoms of it. It's just that like, they're just, I don't, you know, I believe I'm awake right now, you know, like I, you know, I'm not 
you know, like abandoning all of my responsibilities and, you know, everyone I love and like not paying attention to my, like a bipolar people have a tendency to just like completely neglect, neglect hygiene and like really basic stuff because they think like one thing is super important and nothing else is important but like yeah and then the, you're saying like i put a lot of eggs in one basket like that's the <laughs> that's the thing is that it's like these are tendencies that i still have and i'm still exhibiting but there are like so much more extreme without medication because it is related to an actual chemical imbalance in my brain and then you know when you see a lot like so going back to you know what we were talking about before this call a lot of mental health resources that are open, like it's just like, in, well, in the first place, it's hard to get, obtain mental health care. But then when you get it, it's not for people who have bipolar or schizophrenia or, or like, you know, it's basically anything that is like, it is a much larger inconvenience to the people around you. Like, at, like there's always a point where someone's like, oh, she's crazy. Like there's a point where if someone's too much, they kind of get like, I'm not qualified to deal with you too much for me. Like I have a, I, it's really hard for me when I'm in a, like a support group type situation and people say stuff like, I can't imagine what that's like. And I have no idea how to sympathize with that. And then you see people go around the circle and they're saying I'm suicidal and everyone's able to be like, oh, I know how that feels. And, you know, you become alienated within a support group. Like, it's just when it's supposed to be like a general mental health community thing. And, you know, it kind of just makes you feel more alone due to the kind of lack of education. You know, people, you know, put mental health as an umbrella term, but then there's just, you know, it's not, the memes don't cover the woman talking to it, yelling at a telephone pole in the street, you know, like that's not the same. You can't tell her self-care you know it's just like a, it's a representation of a, a system that doesn't really know how to support mental health and then you know the field itself is murky like there's so much research that needs to be done that's just not you know oh yeah certainly and like i feel like someone just well like a support system just shunning someone in that kind of kind of extreme disorder case like that's like i think that's the worst thing you could do i feel like you can't just pick and choose which mental health conditions deserve support, deserve help, and which ones get kind of shunned just because they're too extreme or you don't know what to mm -hmm. say. Like, I feel like you kind of, even when it is difficult, you need, when possible, I suppose, you need to be that support system. But I guess like two things. One, like, I guess two questions, I should say. One is, would it be fair to say that with something like bipolar one or like the average bipolar one diagnoses, that person kind of has to figure out manage things on their own with their own medication rather than a support system that's gonna tell them to kind of, I'm here for you, like that, that kind of script. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically like people will say I'm here for you, but they don't know what being there for a bipolar person means. You know, like I say, when people say I'm here for you, a lot of times they mean like, okay, I can accept, we can talk sometimes, we can get lunch sometimes and we can talk about our problems or whatever. Um, for me, 
the I'm here for you that I need is somebody that can answer the phone at 2am when I'm trying to keep like my self harm ticks happening. Like I had a major episode recently where like, I woke up and I had like scratches all over my body and I like put socks on my hands and like tape my, you know, tape the socks over my wrist. So I would stop like scratching myself and I had to like go like stay with people that I knew could supervise me for a couple of weeks um like I was with my friends Brett and Sarah for one week and I was with my parents for a couple of weeks but the I'm here for you that I need is somebody that can answer the phone at 2 a.m because that like uh, you know and talk to me when I'm like babbling nonsense and I'm just like my hands are attacking me I don't know how to deal with this and that's not something everybody has bandwidth for you know and they also it's not something that they would know how to deal with when it's happening because I'm not like if I'm in an episode like that, I'm not going to be able to communicate what I want and need. So the person already needs to do that. You know, they can't like, that's not the moment where they can ask like, how, how do you want me to help? It's because I'm not going to be able to articulate that if I'm like deep in an episode or don't think I'm awake or I'm like talking to shit that isn't there, you know? Yeah. And I think that answers my second question. My second question was going to be like, obviously when that script I'm here for you gets to exhausting or tiring or just not helpful like what can be what how does someone quote unquote be there for you as a support system I think you kind of answered that like you I guess to verbalize it like you're saying that someone needs to literally physically be there for you when you're scratching yourself or when you're self-harming to stop you from doing these things until you're in check correct yeah um, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that is just like, you don't necessarily need like a dinner date, you need an emergency contact, you know, because you don't know where you're going to be or what's going on when like some kind of episode is happening. Um, and when you're in a position that that that's that vulnerable, um, you know, the people around you that say that they're going to be there for you, they need to actually be able to step up. Otherwise, it was kind of dangerous for them to offer that and it's so like again this is what like going back to what I was saying in the beginning about me not wanting to cast partners as home health aides um this is where it gets difficult because I don't want to put that response on my friends either and like I'm kind of bad enough with, like maintaining emotional intimacy with like literally anyone um or admitting vulnerability with literally freaking anyone uh and I've only recently been able to talk about like in the last year and a half I've been talking about bipolar one and stuff on podcasts but I didn't used to um but it's yeah like the what you basically have to do is just kind of like educate the people around you and be like listen this is just kind of a reality of what being around me is like you know and if it's uh you know and if you you know offer that then you know that's that might be how I act and it's not always going to be convenient it's not always going to be comfortable for everybody but like you know <laughs> just have to do the best you can um or at least in my situation you know the, the things would be different this is a problem you can throw money at that's the other like <laughs> that's the other thing with mental health is that it is in fact a problem you can throw money at and then there's like and if it is that kind of problem like obviously the chemical imbalance and some stuff's never going to completely go away but my situation would be better if i were able to pay for more things like delivery services and like help cleaning and like a service dog is like a massive financial even if you get an organization that will get you one you still have to take care of a dog um you still have to take your dog to the vet 
and stuff like that. And that's like, but having like something in the house that is trained to hit an emergency contact button, grab water, grab medication, um, because that's like what a lot of these service dogs do. They know how to grab medication as, as needed from the other side room, grab water. Um, that could have prevented like the last four episodes that I had. Um, but I can't financially support a service dog. So it's just kind of capitalism. Capitalism destroys mental health. I will, <laughs> if there's nothing else I can say. Oh yeah, I'd agree with that. Even like yeah. the part about like how like certain people just need money and resources, like kind of yeah. like to echo what you said earlier, like, you know, just need someone to talk to or during the day, people need resources. And in this day, now age, like people are struggling to have resources for themselves, let alone give away. So it presents that domino effect of capitalism just rearing its ugly head and it just mm-hmm. gets tough, I guess. And um, I guess on that note, I guess I should also ask specifically for people who don't have the emotional bandwidth to be physically there for someone with bipolar one or just with a extreme condition in general but they want to be there to help someone without saying the script of, oh, I'm, I'm here for you, stuff like that. What can they do if they just don't have the emotional, they want to be your support system, but don't have the emotional bandwidth to do the physical necessities or the resources that that implies? I would say, say the exact th- same thing you said clearly in the friendship, just make sure you communicate or at least with me I won't take that personally you can't say that about every single bipolar person but for me if someone says to me I want to help you but I don't have the emotional bandwidth to support you know you in an emergency capacity I'm like great I know what to ask you for and then what I ask you for is very specific to who you are as a person you know if I like if you're a person that's like just a cool hang, then I, you know, like, we'll just go hang out. It's fine. Um, But like, if you don't want to do that, you know, just like communicate that with me. And I I rely on people to do that because I'm massive. Like I text exactly the same way I talk and it's taken me a long time to not be self-conscious about that. Cause I'm just like, no, this is another bipolar thing. My texts are fucking six pages long. And I'm like, if I'm overloading you, I'm going to really need to trust you to communicate that to me because I will, my perception of like the friendship or the relationship or whatever will be, is kind of warped a lot of the time because of like the way my thoughts jumble around. And I'm just like, I, if someone really wants to be there for you and they can't, they don't have the bandwidth in like a major capacity, definitely communicate that because then otherwise you don't have a person relying on you when you can't give high quality care. It's like, or you don't have a person thinking that you're going to be the solution to their problems when you actually can't do that. And, you know, like pretending that you can do that or like trying to overwork yourself isn't going to be good for either person, you know, because you're not going to be able to help the person and the person's not going to be able to get the kind of help that they need so like nobody nobody wins um but like the trick thing with mania mania is the like absolute opposite of depression where in depression you think nothing's okay nothing works there's no like nobody loves you that kind of thing mania it doesn't matter if your leg is chopped off below the knee you're like everything's great 
and it takes it can take forever you for you to step out of it and be like oh no i've i've been bleeding out on the floor for months what do i do i just messed up this friendship but i thought it was fine because burning bridges is cool or whatever you know like it's it's a big fun house mirror and you need other people to be able to kind of snap you into reality and be like that's no this isn't the kind of friendship we have like you might not be able to see it right now but you know like being able to gently let you out of things but basically just you know like communicate in a friendship like you communicate in a relationship if you don't have the bandwidth for somebody like that then tell them and if they're gonna bounce immediately because you said that maybe that wasn't a great friendship you know <laughs> yeah i think that's really well because they should want you to be good too like oh yeah absolutely that's how what's the word well reciprocal friendships work i think like i've had mm -hmm. to be there for one person before and knowing what i can and can't do i even had to verbalize myself and it's just takes a simple sentence to say i don't know what i can do for you or i know i can't be in a certain capacity to give you the help that you need but let me know what i can do and i'll try to do in the best of my ability i'm here for mm -hmm. you um god what else did i say um i hope you're being safe sometimes it just takes mm -hmm a simple verbalization to kind of set boundaries because you're not only saying boundaries with a person or boundaries may be the wrong word but like you're you're establishing certain roles i guess because otherwise you're draining yourself and you're draining the other person and the other person's not getting the resources or help they need and that's mm -hmm. that's it's not good for anybody exactly you know? and it also created it creates resentment in the friendship sometimes and it also like I don't like watching when people are trying to help me and it isn't working and they get frustrated and then I feel guilty because they're frustrated, you know, that 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 is a whole loop that happens because like I'm not a narcissist I can't just take all of this input and feel fine about it, you know, like I have a lot of because I've also, you know, I'm a big, uh, or at least until recent, a, a big person that had a tendency to take on other people's struggles because I wasn't able to manage my own. Like I, I've dated a lot of uh, dudes that were like man children, but I, I've, <laughs> I've been like mom to a lot of people that didn't necessarily have their shit together. Uh, and I, you know, one day woke up and realized like, I don't have my shit together either. Um, and it's, like I recognize that burnout because I've experienced that burnout on my end before when I'm taking care of people. So if I see people taking care of me and they're starting to get burned out and they're and I can tell that they're clearly extending themselves past the energy and capacity they have because they feel bad and I'm like different. Like I'm a very nice person. I'm difficult to like. I don't want to say I'm difficult to say no to, but like I you know, if I'm draining someone, it's like, I'm because I'm not a mean person, it's harder to like cut me off and set that boundary, or at least that that's what I've experienced. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it like for friendships, it's about like reciprocity and trust and everything. And if you, you know, you see the person that, if you see that the caretaker needs a caretaker, you might want to like ask for care somewhere else, you know? Yeah, 1000%. And I think that's really well said. I really like what you said there and I almost hate to say this, but like, I think that might be a good place to kind of end this. But like for sure. one, I think it gives like a good place for like audiences to like chew on. And also mm -hmm. like, we're kind of like 
close to an hour. I try to keep these like a half hour, but I just oh, really wow. loved how it's all good. I love how this conversation okay. has gone. That's why I kind of kept it going. Like this has been a great <laughs> chat, I think. Thank yeah, God. I mean, this is something that I, I think about a lot because I've been in therapy since I was like a kid. So like the dialogue, mm-hmm. I, I grew up with this dialogue. Um, But yeah, I got time flies when you're getting deep, I guess. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, is there any like lasting comments you want to give people or like let anybody know about before we end this? Uh, I have a very big opinion about mental health or if your therapist is bad, you got to fire them like immediately, like find another, don't do the shit where you like quit a job and you don't have another job lined up, like try to find another therapist first. So you don't have a gap in care, but firing bad therapists is so important. Like, because a bad therapist will mess you up worse than no therapy because they'll just drag all your trauma out and do the wrong thing with it. And then you're just like, worse like if i could say nothing else on a mental health podcast it's please fire your bad therapist do it <laughs> oh yes not not no people say that so i'm really glad you said that it's really yeah. important <laughs> yes yeah, so we've been talking about forever bad psychiatrists we, will land you in the hospital bad psychiatrists will give you the wrong pills and you'll be dead like <laughs> exactly and like we've been talking about dating a lot like finding the right therapist is a lot like finding the right partner you're not going to get right the first time all the time and sometimes you gotta go from therapist to therapist to nail someone that just works for you you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah all right and uh with that said got one more thing before we get out of here i like to end every episode with this kind of segment i like to call giving people their flowers why kind of just try to let my guests know they're appreciated in case we never speak again or wherever. If I get hit by a truck or something, then we never speak again. <laughs> but like, I appreciate you. Well, like a lot of reasons now, because like before this, I appreciate the fact that just like you kind of put so much passion and dedication to what you do, be it your projects, be it your comedy. But you also put that same type of passion, and dedication to like helping other people like at risk of exposing some like inside baseball, like a lot of times during NQO means like you may have all these different things lined up, but if someone says, I need help on this, or I need someone to signal boost this, or I'm in a gym, I need help. You're always the first to kind of extend your hand out and just be that kind of help for someone. And I always thought that was super cool given everything you do. And like, now that I've kind of gotten to know you even more by just hearing about your history and dealing with bipolar one, I admire you even more just because you've, really sounds like it's just been a big journey and like you've done the best you can to kind of manage that journey and like even with all of like the bells and whistles of that journey you've also just allowed yourself to kind of be so open and trying to explain that journey to help other people on this podcast and I appreciate you just for coming on this podcast even now like we're talking about help you're helping me now by kind of just recording and like telling listeners just ways that they could help like different people with certain conditions i think that's just so cool so again i appreciate you coming on this podcast being so open and just appreciate you that means so much and i really need to hear that thank you dude like (laughs) anytime